laughed till they were crying, um, congregation. And the funny thing is that after service Friday night, people kept lining up asking me to sing the next night. And the woman in charge, Pastor Brenda, said, said to me right before service began on Saturday night, I hope you've got special songs prepared because it has been over, unanimous that they want to hear you sing. I laughed till I couldn't stop crying. And I said, I am not singing specials. I do not carry soundtracks. I am not doing. What you saw, I do in the altar when I prophesy. I gave up the singing thing. But I just want you to know, people, there are a group of people on this earth that do want to hear me sing. <laughs> I just want you to be reminded that. But I laughed so hard, and I thought, they didn't want anything else. They just said, please sing. But anyway, as I was getting ready, I, I felt the Holy Spirit just, Oh, I felt him wrestling, kind of wrestling me, wrestling with him. And I thought, sir, what are you, what are you saying? You want, you don't want to do that? I've been presumptuous. Is is that not the direction you want to go? And I had trained their black children's pastor to be the um, want to be God. And what was so funny, she'd even wait till I told her to get out of the seat. Once I took the crown and the garment, she went running out the back door. It was very funny. But I just was saying, you know, what do you want? And the Holy Spirit gave me Isaiah 55. This is just a funny for you. I turned to Isaiah 55 and I read it. Well, half the chapter could confirm the fact that I should go ahead. You ever been there? And the other half of the chapter was like, no, my ways are higher than your ways. Um, I was like, oh, I'm in a moment of, of delirious delirium. And I mean, it was right before service started. So I just walked over there and I said, sir, if something happens, you don't want me to do that. I'm ready for you. Because he had moved in such marvelous ways in the altar the night before, just, just pe pulling people out and just speaking to them in ways that only he could with things he only knows. And, uh, but amazing thing was that I went ahead with it. And I think he was assuring me um, there were, you know, that it was his thing because there was such a thick glory that came into that room during the message. I can't quite describe, but right toward the end, and I say this because some of you have been praying for my back, and right toward the end, right before I got, it was just so thick in there, and I got right ready to wrestle with that wannabe God, and it was sitting on the little chair behind me, and I leaned over, and the way I leaned over kind of twisted my back in a way that was not good but it didn't pay mind to it just kept on preaching and all of a sudden I felt like I don't know if you ever used biofreeze or an icy hot an icy hot bandages if you don't have a back you will someday have to use them people that's all I'm saying well when you put them on you feel like menthol all of a sudden I felt from one side of my back to the other this heat of menthol and I thought you didn't put on an icy hot I'm preaching and thinking this at the same time and I'm thinking is that you Holy Spirit because that's usually the way I feel them is that you sir is that you sir but I kept preaching got into ministry and when I got done, it, it, it came again. And when it did, the place, I didn't say anything, the place went nuts. And the Holy Spirit started just calling out people with physical remedies. Such detailed, such amazing. And he was just mighty and awesome. And I'm here to tell you that I drove three hours home pain-free last night. And... Um, it just, I have been in an enormous amount of pain. Don't really not sure what it was, but I give God glory. I'm going to walk this out. So it was a wonderful weekend, but I'm excited. I kept saying last night, Holy Spirit, let me stay in this message because I kept thinking about this morning. So I'm excited. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a cry of purpose. And this morning, I'm going to give this message in the mood that we're in and, and, and with the emotion that's here today. And this message will be what's right for us this morning. Not another crowd, but just what's right for us. Don't you love that? In Exodus 1, I'm going to jump around a little bit if you want to listen. It's talking about Israel, and it says in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. 
in verse 10, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and happen in the event of war. They also join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. So verse 12, so the more they afflicted, the more Egypt, someone say the more Egypt afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and they were, the Egyptians were in dread of Israel, which shows us right there that the more the world or the enemy presses in on us, the more God's power grows inside of us. Can you say amen? And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, verse 14, in brick and in all matter of service in the field and all their service which was made them serve was with rigor. Now look up and I'll read a little bit and we'll pray. The interesting thing is that Pharaoh said, as most of you know with this story, he said to the midwives, kill the children when they're born. And the, the midwives said that the, the Hebrew women drop their babies so quick. They just drop out to a degree that we can't even kill them. Well, the midwives kind of lied, kind of a godly lie. But they were hiding the babies. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So then Pharaoh said, every son who is born... Of the Israelites you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. He was cutting off the male seed is what he was doing so that it could not live on. So chapter 2, verse 1 is where our reference is. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and she bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with asphalt, put the child in it and laid it in the river's bank. Bottom line is she put the baby in a basket and put it on the Nile River. And his sister stood off to see what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. She saw the ark among the reeds. She sent her maid to get the basket in verse 6. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby cried. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Father, we welcome your spirit in this room. Blessings to the word of God. Speak into the ears of my brothers and sisters, even what I do not hear. God, there may be a Rosa Parks here today. There may be a future Abraham Lincoln, so to speak, someone that will change destiny. Every single person in this room is one of those people. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, by your power and your anointing. Do it one more time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Someday we'll look behind the scenes, if we said a lot recently, and see the unfathomable ways that on the worst day of our life, God fought for us. The drama that we see, Brandy, pales in comparison to the drama that we can't see. We see drama going on in this story. We see a Pharaoh saying that this child must die. We see a Pharaoh wanting to kill, but it says that when Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby and the baby cried in the Hebrew, what it says is she saw it was a well-favored. Someone say well-favored. A well-favored child. When she saw that it was a well-favored child, what she saw was this child has purpose. This child has purpose beyond me. I want you to say my purpose is not about me. It's about others. She saw a purpose in, her, in this little baby Moses, in this gift that she would take into her house. And she saw that it should live. The voices of Pharaoh, Amanda, the voices in the land are your purpose doesn't deserve to live. 
those uh, doubt dealers and dream stealers, those fruit killers, they come to convince you and I that that purpose inside of us should not live. But I love this about God. Purpose excels in desperate, inconvenient, don't have enough, don't feel like it's circumstances. Don't you love that? Even in the worst circumstances, the inconvenient circumstances, the times when you don't have enough, purpose will excel, David Lair. You see, God doesn't set goals for your life and hope they come to pass. God doesn't have vision for what he'd like for you to become. God has purpose for your life. Someone give God a hand clap of praise that he has purpose for your life. Ephesians 1 and 11 says it like this. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1 and 6 says that we were made. Say, I was made to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Let me tell you something. God was setting the scene for something more miraculous than the Israelites could have ever dreamed. God was behind the scene working in way in a miracle that was comprehensive and beyond all that Israel could imagine. And today, let me remind you that God is working behind the scenes for your baby's life. Come on, somebody. For your finances, for your job, for that miracle, for that spouse you're believing. Let me get an amen from a single person. For whatever you're looking for, God is working behind the scenes. But you see, if you want God to surprise you, if you want God to give you something you've never had, you got to give up control. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to give up control. I don't like giving up control. Anybody else? Chris Fern and I was so mad last night, Pastor Hank. I had it all charted out. I was going to take that back way. I knew it would be one in the morning, but dear Lord, I'm a brave woman traveling with the angels. And I was going to take Tunnel Hill, and he happened to call me when I got out of service. He said, all interstate home, right? I want you to call me three times. And I said, yeah, 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 all interstate until Tunnel Hill. Well, he hates Tunnel Hill coming back from Atlanta. He said, no, 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 you're not going to take Tunnel Hill. You're not going to take Tunnel Hill. I said, no, yes, I am. We went back and forth. He goes, no, you're not. It's going to be 1 in the morning. You're going to be on the back roads. You may lose cell service. So I said, okay, I hung up. I'm telling, I argued and fussed with the Lord about that for an hour. I calculated how fast I could drive through Chattanooga so I could beat that time that GPS said I would get there. I don't know about you, but I don't like giving up control control do you he calls me where are you I'm in Chattanooga he goes okay I got up and I, I got up out of my bed down here in Georgia to make sure that you're being obedient to the Lord but you see we'll lose a measure of predictability McKenna they could have never dreamed that if they let God take control he was going to bring a deliverer through a little baby in a basket traveling down the Nile. You and I, as Pastor Hank says, have a million ways we think that things can work out. But we really only have one. And that is to trust God who does have a million ways to work something out. Come on, someone. You see, but we lose that. But if we lose control, we'll see God surprise us. The biggest surprises I've ever had in my life are the ones I didn't see coming. The ones that God had me in the right place at the right time, believing him, but not knowing. You see, God in this story was looking for ordinary people just like you and I today to play significant roles in an unfolding story. And it's his story. Someone say it's his story. You see, Nicole, it's not your story or my story. We tell our stories as they give glory to God. 
But this world is his story. And he is unfolding a plan every day. And in this plan, the curtain had gone down at the end of Exodus. And Joseph, an Israelite, was at the right hand of Pharaoh. And he was ruling and reigning. And he was, uh, he was dressed and arrayed in royal robes and royal rings upon his hand. A true Israelite who was a prince among his brothers. And that's a great moment. But when the curtain comes up on the book of Exodus, just like many seasons and moments in our life, our nation, our country, our church, your whatever, the curtain comes up and there's one little woman taking her purpose to the shore of the Nile. You would look at that and you think, God, are you sure you're in this story? But it's God's glory to show his glory in every way he wants to, in any way he wants to. God showcases his purpose in ways we can't understand. Look at your neighbor and say, it's his story. You see, so God is looking for a deliverer in this story. And God is so supremely confident. He is so without insecurity that he's willing to choose. Listen, the least among us. The slowest among us. I, I, I was all of these. The lesser known, the last, the smallest, sometimes the poorest to accomplish amazing God-sized stuff. Someone wave a hand, let the angels take a picture of you this morning. Isn't it wonderful? God is looking for someone, a candidate. Hannah, he's not looking for the most brilliant. He's, though he uses the brilliant, he's not looking for the most talented, even the best looking. He's not looking for the most gifted, though he uses them. But the first thing he's using or looking for is someone who will say, I see that my purpose is beyond me. I see. And Jehoshaphat, she knew her son. She had hid him, as I told you a few months ago. She hid him in slave quarters for months. Someone say for months. You can go to the Smithsonian. And you can see a, a rebuilt slave quarter of the time of slavery. I visited down in Thibodeau, Louisiana, the slave quarters where 12 years of slave really happened. Tiny houses. It just was beyond me to look at this. But those slave quarters were not even Hebrew slave quarters. It was such a small house, but God was so wise and so amazing in his ways, Rita, that he hid Moses in a house that you couldn't even hide a bucket of water. Why? Because he's God and he knows how to hide you from your enemy. He knows how to protect you. He knows how to give you victory and he knows how to hide the victory he's bringing to you so the enemy can't stop it. Someone give him a hand this morning. What an awesome God we serve. Jehoshaphat, one woman on the shore who said, Pharaoh said, my purpose has to die. But I believe in my purpose. You and I have people that whisper in our voices all the time. I'm not talking about Tom or Betty or Sue, though that may be true as well. I'm just talking about those voices that say you don't have purpose. You don't make a difference. What you do doesn't matter. Really, it's so small. Those things that come to speak to us about our life message and what we're doing. Those Psalms 37 and 5 in the Message Bible says, Commit your way to the Lord and He will bring it to pass. Open up before God and He'll validate your life. He'll stamp you with approval at high noon. Everyone say high noon. 
God works in ways so detached from who we are in order to ask for the impossible or to believe it. Jehoshaphat had to have the courage to see God do something she had never seen God do before. Come on, somebody. It's easy to ask God for something you've seen before. It's easy to believe God for something you've seen time and time again. But what about if you're Jehoshaphat and you are many days of your life and you've never seen God raise up a baby out of the Nile, you put your own son who is significantly or symbolically standing for the purpose of Jehoshaphat in a basket and send it among the Nile, among alligators, crocodiles, whatever. The Nile is a, is a horrible place to put a baby. Who in this room today would even put your baby in a pool in a basket? Get real with me. You would not. Say no. No. But God spoke to her and said, believe me for something. This purpose is great. Don't give up. Don't drown this baby in the Nile like the voices of the age. The voices of the age in America right now are calling for the death of America. ISIS is calling for the death of America. And yes, many say America is not in end time prophecy, but woe be unto you and I if we don't take a stand as spirit-filled citizens of this country and let our voice be heard, not only in the prayer room, but let our voice be heard in the, in the polls. Let our voice be heard by saying, I don't care what the future is. I'm not going to dig a pit, put myself down like blast from the past in some underground nuclear safe where, but I'm going to take my stand. I'm going to vote for the right person. I'm going to believe. I'm going to stand for this country because the voices around us say America must die. Maybe America, people can't completely find her in end time prophecy, but I'm going to tell you this. America is having some bad days, but America has sent missionaries to 90% of the world for many years. And I cry out every day and say, Lord, remember the American missionaries from the time of my great granddaddy and his great granddaddy who were missionaries to this very day. Remember those who left the free, the home of the free and the brave and went to places that have no freedom and no worship and took the name of Jesus. Let that blood, let that witness cry out. Let us stand in the gap for a country that is too young to die. Come on, someone. I believe that this morning. We have to ask for that. Jehoshaphat did. It's hard to ask. I told my Wednesday night crowd a few weeks ago about in 1960 on the front of the Dallas News, the story said a Thanksgiving miracle. A two-year-old boy is resurrected from death. The story went as this. The little boy, his mother was getting ready for a night out at the country club with the little boy's daddy who was a police officer. She put the baby down to sleep in a playpen. She got a dress from the dry cleaners and laid it on the bed, took the um, wrapping off. And this is before knowledge was so profound or, or understood about how dangerous plastic is. Somehow that plastic rolled over and got on that baby in the playpen. The mother's mother had come to keep the baby. And when she came in, the mother, unaware of all this is going on, said, don't check on baby Keith, mama. He's going to sleep for 30 minutes. Check on him in 30 minutes. And so in about 30 minutes, the mom went, the grandmother went in to find little baby Keith completely blue and not breathing. 
She took that baby in her arms. She called um, the emergency. She called 911. And at that time in Texas, there was only the Methodist Hospital in downtown Dallas. That was it. There was no paramedics on every corner. There was none of the things that we, you know, have so much today, privilege. And um, she said, I need your help. She went and stood on the corner. She waited five minutes. She waited 10 minutes. She waited 15 minutes. Nobody came. And finally, a fireman pulled up and the fireman pulled up. He said, are you the one that called the paramedic? She said, yes. She's standing out on the street corner. He said, we'll do whatever we can. I'm sorry. They had a flat tire. It was the only ambulance that we had. But he said, we'll try. So he began to work on the baby. He couldn't do anything. He pulled the sheet up over the little two-year-old baby. The grandmother reached down and picked up the two-year-old baby. And she stood there. And she said, God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This baby has not lived the days of his life. He's not 50. He's not 40. He's not 36. He's two years old. He has not yet lived. I'm asking you to blow your, your breath of life into this baby and to raise this baby from the dead. And the firemen, and on the front of the Dallas News, 1960, if you want to look it up, all of a sudden the firemen said a wind came and blew the sheet off of the baby. He began to gasp for air and began to live. Come on, somebody. Amazing miracle. But that's not even the greatest miracle. Keith Kraft told this story. He travels with Power Team. We've had them here. Keith Pastors in Frisco, Texas, amazing church there outside of Dallas. And he said that really wasn't even the miracle. The miracle was, he said, my grandmother is what she didn't say when she stood out on that corner. Listen to this. What she didn't say, he said, reverse, rewind five years before to 1955, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. They did a total mastectomy on her, and her husband said, since you're losing your breast, I don't want you anymore. He left her with four children after 33 years. She took the chemo back in that day. Chemo was very, um, you know, not in its great form it is today. And it burnt her from the neck all the way down. She suffers burn. You could see it on the front of the paper. What she didn't say as she stood out there with that, that little two-year-old grandson, what she didn't say was, God, where were you when my husband left me five years ago? So I know there's no reason for me to ask you for a miracle now. God, where were you when I got breast cancer? Where were you when I was left with four children? Where were you when my body was burnt? No, she didn't let any of her disappointments keep her for asking God for a miracle in the moment that maybe she had not seen in a long time. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, we've got to not let our disappointments, the things we have not understood, keep us from asking God for miracles and things in the lives of our our families, in the lives of our country, in the lives of each other. Somebody give God a praise in this house. Jehoshaphat had three options, and you and I do too, when we have an emergency. We can panic, and as a result, we do the wrong thing. Anybody ever done the wrong thing in a panic? You ever watch somebody practice how they're going to get the hospital with a pregnant mom? They always do the wrong thing, go the wrong way. We can be paralyzed as a result, and we do nothing. Or we can pray first, and as a result, we do the right thing. You see, Philippians 4 and 6, 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's this simple. God would have never told us to pray about everything unless we, in praying, could change things. And I always say, you may not see what my prayers changed, but this one thing I say to you, the prayers changed me. The prayers got me through the hell, the disappointment, the trial, the fire. Do I 
I have a friend this morning. The prayer will get you through. Often we don't see what the result of that is, but the prayer changes us. It's amazing. Listen to this. It's amazing that in Deuteronomy 26 and 8, Patty, it says the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. They're going to tell about what's going to happen, that what's, what we're going to read about what's going to happen. With a mighty hand and an outstretched, powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and miraculous signs and wonders. It's amazing that when God tells the story, he says, I merely stretched my hand out and I took a million people out of Egypt. But when we see the story, we see one woman. Someone say one woman standing on the shore with her purpose in her hands. You see, when God tells the story at the end of your life, he's going to talk about the things that you did for his glory, the smiles that you gave, the encouraging words that you gave somebody, the time you called somebody when they were going to end their life, and you just said, you matter. You see, God orchestrates events in such a way, when we look back at the end of our life, we will recognize that the thumbprint of God was with us every single place. Can you say amen? Everyone has those even though moments. Everyone say even though. Even though moments. Jehoshaphat had an even though moment. Even though I believe in you, God, when I can't see you working. Even though I've been disappointed. Even though things have happened, I did not understand. I believe in you, God. Even though moments like Esther had, Hannah, when she went and she said to her people, fast for me for three days. Do not drink. Do not eat. Because when this is done, I'm going to go to the king. Even though it is against the law, is what she said in the NIV, if I perish I perish. You see, your even though moment and my even though moment may look a lot less dramatic than that. Sometimes it's just standing up for what we believe in. Sometimes an even though moment is just saying in a situation, what should be happening is not happening. Even though moments, but I believe that the consequences of even though moments, I believe that the outcome of even though moments are farther and deeper and higher than our mind can achieve. So the next time you're in a situation, the next time you feel that God is calling you to stand up for what is right to be kind to someone no one is being kind to come on somebody to encourage someone no one is encouraging to believe for God to show up in our country in your workplace in your business in your family the next time you have that be assured the price to be paid may be huge but an even though moment means I'm staying where God put me till God's done with me I'm going to stay committed to what God's called me to until God gets ready to move me. I'm going to stay where God has me, where he called me. And Jehoshaphat said, I believe the outcome of this is beyond my understanding. But inside of me, there is a slight urge. Did God speak out of the heavens to her? I don't believe so. And I believe if you and I are looking for handwriting on the wall every day of our life, it is not going to happen, brothers and sisters. But it is often that slight urge, that impression, call them, encourage them. Even though you feel you've got little to offer, even though you feel you've got little to help, bring what you have. Job 33 and 5 said the Spirit of God, someone say the Spirit of God, 
made me and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. You see, in the presence of the life giver, brothers and sisters, you can't doubt your purpose. He gave you life. He gave life to this dream inside of Jehoshaphat that said, my purpose is beyond me. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to take my purpose to the shore. What if she had never done this? This just occurred to me this weekend. What if she, and you'll see how powerful it would have been if she hadn't, but what if she had not taken her purpose? What if? What if I don't become what God has called me to do? What if I let everything that I've been through affect me? Every disappointment, every discouraging moment, my age, my youth, my lack of this, my lack of that. Joseph had been a ruler, brilliant thinker, ruler. But Jehoshaphat is a woman who's given birth to her second child. She's been beaten by taskmasters. It doesn't look like that God's glory is with her, but indeed God's glory is with her. What if she had not taken Moses? Well, Pastor Rhonda, God had a million Moseses. Well, God could raise him up, but God had chosen this baby to be his spokesperson. God has chosen every one of us in this room for things that only we can do. It's not like, well, if cat don't do it, God will just raise up Sikilamuki. And if Rhonda doesn't do it, God will just raise up um, Himalaya. And if God doesn't do this, that, listen, God has given a purpose to Angel, to Austin, to Keith Red that no one in the world can fulfill but them. And if we say, what if consistently? What if? What if I do this and I fail? What if I do this and I don't look so cool doing it? Well, that's a whole nother sermon. You won't always look cool, people. TV just edits the stupid out, but let's keep moving. The what if. So you're going to have stupid. You're going to have it. As musicians and singers, we often share with young singers and musicians every ridiculous thing we've ever done on stage just to encourage them because you need to know when you use your purpose, you ain't always going to be slick willy people. You're not always going to have everything perfect and look great. What if there's a part of, I love history, but there's a part of history I just discovered if I studied it in school, I was probably talking and don't remember it, but this branch of history is called counterfactual theory. And counterfactual theorists, stay with me, ask the what if question of history. Oh, I just think it's brilliant. And I just can't let go of it. For example, what if the American Revolution had failed? What if this country had never become the home of the free and the brave? What if we had not been alive on planet Earth to take down Saddam Hussein. What if we had never been alive to take the, help the allies take down Hitler? And let's move on. What if Hitler had never been taken down in World War II? What would history have looked like? What would the alternate reality, think about it, what would have been the key footnotes that without those, there would not have been the change in history? How would this world have unfolded? Think about it. What if all the world spoke German today? What if all the world was killing the Jews still today? What if all the world was still following that frenzy, blue-eyed, crazy man's theory if someone had not said, that is not right? You see, what if you say, oh that's, oh, that's just great. I love thinking about that. But Rhonda Davis, don't you get too all up about that? You better think about your life. What if, Rhonda, you don't help this one? What if you're not at your place at your time 
for this one. You see, they didn't know during the Revolutionary War. They had no idea how far America would go. But you've got to think about the what if. You've got to think about the alternate reality. What if you don't do what God has called you to do? If one of the guitars could come and help me for a few minutes, and I'll have you drop out at the end here in just a minute. What if Jehoshaphat is standing on the shore? What if she didn't put Moses in the basket? What if she didn't say, my purpose is greater than what I feel right now? My purpose is greater than what I don't have right now. You see, I can't line you all up today and say, these are the people you're going to impact with your life. It's impossible for a human to do that. I can't stand Courtney up and say, Courtney, if you don't walk the walk of God and, and stay in the flow of your purpose, this massive group of people will never come to know Jesus. The what if. Jehoshaphat looks alone. We look alone standing on the shore. But behind her was the great cloud of witnesses that Hebrew 12 says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who've borne the testimony to the life of faith. So let us stand. Let us run with patience. Behind her was Colossians 2 and 9 and 10. In Him, someone say in Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwell in bodily form. And you are complete in Him. You see, behind me, when I bring my purpose to the shore of life, behind me stands all the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're backing me up. They've got their hand on my back. I am not alone. You may feel you stand alone, but heaven stands with you. Heaven stands with one hand behind your back. And when you think you can't, they can the fullness of the eye of the tiger, Jesus Christ, who fought all the way to the finish line. He didn't give up. He didn't move off his place until he was finished. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is full of grace and righteousness, creativity, glory, and power. He has got his hand on your back. When Jehoshaphat went to the shore, heaven had its hand on her back, saying, we're supporting you. Your purpose is greater. The great cloud of witnesses that are around us know how powerful our purpose is. So what was the cry of purpose? I believe when she looked in and she saw baby Moses, I believe somehow the cry of one million plus Jews was resounding in eternity. Please save that baby. Inside that baby is the man that God has called. Inside that baby is going to be a meek man of God who's going to go before Pharaoh time and time again. And keep saying, let my people go. A meek man who will lean on a cane in his elder years, not knowing that God will use him as a friend of God in a way he never imagined. After 40 years of living in a wilderness and isolation, I believe that cry of those Jews said, don't let that baby die. Because inside of him is the strength to get us out. What if she had not given her purpose into the hands of God? The million Jews would have never gotten out of Egypt and never gotten to a land where they could claim as their own that would become Israel, where Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. What if, what if she had not listened to that, just that little voice that said, your purpose has got to live. What if you don't listen to that purpose in your life? Those Jews would have never gotten out. Jesus would have never come. Mary Magdalene would have never been delivered. Rhonda Davis would have never been saved. Simon the leper would have never been healed. The blind man Bartimaeus would have never found his sight. But what about you and I? The demoniac of Gadara would have been, had been died, cooked in chains. He still would have been foaming at the mouth, screaming curses if 
she had not taken her birth. You see, it is so above and beyond you and I. And you say, yes, you're talking about Jesus. No, I'm talking about every one of us in the room today. What if, Angie, you don't serve the purposes of God in your generation? That cry is going before the throne room of every person in this room right now. People that will meet. I believe the cries of the Hope House girls. Years ago, we're going before the Lord. When Pastor Hank was doing cocaine and I had left him. And we were living in misery. But I believe that cry was feeling of every addict that we've helped for 33 years was saying, please don't let that man die on overdose. Please save him. Inside of him is a word that we heal people. Please let that marriage be restored. Because through them, the Lord will preach mercy and grace to people living in places where no mercy and grace appear. I wonder if I could open up the sky this morning. If I could open your spiritual ears and tune you in to hear the cry. I wonder what you would hear throughout the region of eternity. Sounds that would say, Gerald Pippinger has my purpose. God, keep him strong. Keep him together. Chris Vernon has a song of healing that cry. Are you saying, Pastor Ron, these people are literally saying that? No, I'm saying in eternity, God hears every cry of every heart yet to be saved. I believe there's prodigals that are saying, let Mish kids stay focused because she's got a word of healing for me. Let Linda Jarvis stay on task because her hands are going to minister to people in hospitals and to addicts. You see, if we could tune in and tune the world out, we would hear it. The voice of those crying for Keith Red years ago. Let Keith be strong and stay where he is so he can drive Operation Blessing trucks all over the world to bring food for those who don't have any. But you see, sometimes, beloved, the, the voices of the world get so loud. The voices of the world, the voices of our disappointments, the voices of our overwhelming, what does Rhonda need? Rhonda, what does Rhonda need? What does Rhonda want today? What does Rhonda desire? Oh, i got to meet Rhonda's needs. That's what I hear. Oh, I've got to make Rhonda happy. When all out in eternity, cries are going before the Lord saying, help Rhonda not to make it about herself. Let her live for a cause greater than herself. And that is the cause of Jesus Christ. I believe this morning, we're going to drop out on the music. I believe this morning, just for a few minutes, that the cry of purpose sounds a lot like this. Don't give up on your purpose. Hear my cry. Hear the cry of my purpose. I represent the alcoholic. Please don't give up on us. And please don't give up on your purpose. Hear my cry. Please don't give up on us. Please don't forget about us. Hear my cry. Please hear the cry of my purpose. 
person. I represent the persecuted church all over the world. Please don't stop praying for us. We are fighting for our lives. Please don't give up on us. Hear our cry. Hear the cry of my purpose. I represent the church, the body of Christ. Please don't give up on us. And don't give up on your purpose. Hear our cry. I want you to stand all over this building with no music. I want you to stand right where you are, everyone. And Josh, if you'll start playing, I want you to stay right down here. I want everyone just to move out. Musicians, come up if you